This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Sam Carroll and Adam Jones as we chew the fats over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and as ever, plenty to get our teeth stuck into um, on the first podcast of the week. On the agenda today, um, we will discuss a story we wrote over the weekend uh, about the changing transfer landscape at Goodison and pretty much for many clubs, uh, how the club will have to rein in any sp- uh, spending plans and how it could be a summer dominated by freeze, loans and swaps. Um, we'll again talk about behind closed doors. There is a pattern emerging in the Bundesliga, which we'll talk about and ask whether there's any reason for concern for the Blues when and if football comes back. And Jean-Philippe Gabamin has been speaking this week as well, and we'll make discussion around what he said and his targets for the remainder of this season. Um have you got any concerns, chaps? We'll go back to start the pod at the top of the agenda. We ran a story over the weekend, as I say, about the changing landscape for Everson and probably for a lot, if not all clubs. This need to rein in spending. You know, clubs are losing money by the day, of course, and the change, you know, change to the broadcast deals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, have we got concerns that we won't be able to do? Um, Good business this summer, or, or, or are we still confident that, that that Marcel and Carlo, between them, even though on 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 stricter budgets and having to go through loans and swaps, etc., can still find players to improve this squad? I think we have to fine tune it, don't we? I think that there's all kinds of positions that need strengthening, um, but we probably are going to have to kind of streamline that a little bit and, and look at what we need with most a- with most agency, which. You know, probably centre back, and then and then it's a toss up between centre. Well, probably centre mid and, and right back as well. So, you know, we're we're gonna have to look at look at that. I think we probably will only now sign two two players, maybe three. Um, obviously, utilising the loan market, free transfers and swaps, as as you've said in your piece, Phil. So, there's going to be a streamline of it. My my biggest concern at the moment is that. I think this summer there would have been a real push to to get your Balassies, your Sandros off the wage budget, your Chenk Tosins, and even maybe, you know, what does the future hold for your Gilfie Sigertons, your Theo Walcotts, if, if there's other lads being brought in. You know, they they could have they could have left this summer. Will that happen now? O- almost certainly not in, in for every single one of them, because what club are gonna go and pay Sandro Ramirez as seventy thousand pounds a week wage and and a similar one for Yannick Balassi as well, and at the end of the day, you, you can't blame someone for, you know, someone's not Balassi's not going to turn around, is he, and say, right, I'll take thirty grand a week when he, when he could see out the rest of his contract probably on on double that. It's just human nature, isn't it? You can't really blame him for for doing that when you've got a family to support and stuff. So, I think that's where we're going to see the real hit. It is, you know, where I think it, from from the looks of thing, Marcel was really trying to place an emphasis on cleaning the deadwood and and almost starting afresh. Uh, and I, I don't think we're going to be able to do that this summer now. Yeah, you're right. It does feel like it's put that process back 12 months, doesn't it? Um, Adam, are you still confident that even in a restricted way and in a, in a restricted budget and, and you know having to look to the loan markets and freeze and swaps, as we say, that Marcel and Carlo can, can still manage to do good business, still manage to pull out you know top players that can improve the squad? Yeah, I'm fairly confident because... You know, this isn't just Everton who are going to be dealt this sort of situation. You know, it's it's going to be something that's felt 
not even just across the Premier League, across world football as well. Everybody's going to be suffering with a you know a bit of a financial constraint, shall we say, uh, over the next few months. So you know it's a it's a different landscape for everyone else. And to be honest, not everyone else has Marcel Brands and Carlo Ancelotti to try and attract players to them. So I think in a way, Everton are you know quite well built to be able to deal with the, these sort of changes in the transfer landscape. Uh, better than a lot of other clubs, which is you know quite promising. And you know it might it might not have been the case over the last couple of years. You know if we'd have had a different director of football or a different manager, that's just the kind of pull uh, that this pair have. I mean, obviously it would have been nice to be able to get you know the the likes of these thirty million pound signings. You know these young players with loads of quality that would would have been able to push us on. Obviously that's going to be very different now in this uh, transfer market. Like you you wouldn't expect. For example, if Everton were to go back to Lille with an offer for Gabriel, you'd you'd you're not going to really be able to get him on any sort of swap deal. You wouldn't think, you know, it that it, it looks like any deal for in that would have had to be pushed back a little bit. So, you know, the type of players that we're going to be looking at might be uh, very different. But yeah, I've still got quite a lot of confidence that Carlo and Marcel will be able to uh, to find us some good signings. Definitely. I mean, Sam, obviously, we have to take. Take the the list that I'm about to read you within within context and how it's it's a different market than it will be this this time round. But if you look at the loans and frees that we've done under Marcel, Andre Gomez, Kurt Zuma, Sidibe, and Bernard, it's not bad business, is it? No, definitely not. And obviously, G- Gomez became a parent sign, and Zuma, the, you know, for all the world, the world, they, they wanted them uh, to to become a permanent sign, and Bernard's obviously on a free and. You know, obviously, as we've spoke about on many, there will be opportunities out there, you know. And the other thing is you've, you've got to think that transfers don't just start now. You know, it's not like Marcel Brands just, just got out of bed a couple of days ago. I was like, right, I'm going to start looking for players. <laughs> this has been going on for months. Although it would be an interesting start for the day. That'd be, you know, a, that'd be a story, wouldn't like, it? Wow. <laughs> he's been laying the groundwork for months, really, hasn't he? So, you know, that's really, uh, I think... He's going to take his list, and Carlo's going to have his list, and and hopefully they can meet in the middle on a few. And and there is that leeway to 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 work a deal that suits all parties. But at the same time, you know, a player who ever might wanted to have signed and now can only get on loan, the, the the selling club might be like, well, hang on, that that doesn't benefit us. So it's obviously going to have an impact, isn't it? So you know, it it is interesting, and obviously Marcel's got such a good reputation. Uh, and, and certainly, I think his first couple of transfer windows have been really positive. You know, you can really see the kind of player he wants to bring in. You know, you look at the forwards he's brought in, Richarlison, Moise Keane, Alex Awobi, Bernard, all players who can play across the three, can play in the ten. Really versatile and young and powerful uh, for, for the majority as well. So, you know, it, it's, it's positive, but it's going to test his kind of powers to the most, isn't it, in, in an unprecedented climate. And obviously... The same for Ancelotti. The, the player clubs, obviously in the past, he's had a lot more money and a lot more clout and, and European influence to European football, that is, to, to offer players. But, you know, I still think that Carlo Ancelotti wow factor, if, if you know Everton are interested in you this summer and you know you'll be coming to Finch Farm with those facilities to work with Carlo Ancelotti, who's obviously not coming here to finish mid-table. We, we we've got we, we're still holding a lot of hands in in this transfer window, and we're probably in better shape than most teams in the Premier League at the moment. So, 
I still think whatever players that I, I think if Marcel Brands and Carl Ancelotti say right, these are the two or these are the three we want, uh, I'm confident we'll get them. A couple of things on this. First one, add is it worth bearing in mind as well, and and at, at the at the risk of, of of saying like a new signing, the remainder of this season and certainly next, fingers crossed, we're going to see more if not better from Moise Keane as well. We still a very young player. And I, and, and, and I don't know if you agree with, with me. I'm, my feeling is that actually that investment made last summer, we, 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 you know, we'll start to bear fruit and actually he will get more games. And whether that means Carlo has to change formation, maybe play three up front, maybe Richarlison goes wide for a game. And, you know, it, it might feel that this season where we haven't really seen a great deal of Moise Keane, only scored once, actually next season, this is when he's going to start really coming into his into his own, hopefully. I think that was always going to be the case, though, wasn't it? And I think we maybe saw the signs of that when he had his first press conference. Did he set himself a target of seven goals, maybe, or something like that this season? There were a few eyebrows raised about it, but, you know, when you thought about it, it it made sense. You know, he's still, you know, at that time, he was still a teenager, hadn't had loads of time playing in the first team in Serie A. So, you know, moving over to a new uh, league, into a new country as well, at, at that young age, it was always going to be difficult for him and you know at times this season he has found it quite difficult to break into the team uh, regularly I think since the turn of the year he's probably found it a little bit easier he obviously got that goal against Newcastle and there were a few really promising displays I mean I think that Newcastle display in general aside from the goal was probably his best performance that he put in in an Everton shirt and that's the kind of they're all the kind of attributes that we wanted to see from him you know he had a lot of pace he had a lot of power about him uh, he has a lot of skill about him as well and his defensive attributes even, you know, closing down defenders, making sure that Everton would defend them from the front. That's exactly what we want to see from him. And I think Carlo will have just been hammering that into him as much as possible in every training session since then. So, you know, if we can hone in on those aspects of Moise Keane, then I think definitely we're going to see much better from him over the next two seasons. And it, it only stands to reason that with more time in the Premier League, he's going to be better equipped, better physically equipped, better mentally equipped. You know, as he matures as a player as well, that all these, all these things will come. So, I think that you know, it, as soon as we signed Moise Keane, it was definitely going to be a long-term investment. We weren't expecting him to be this twenty-seven million pound player this season. You know, it's got it's going to be, you know, in the next few years that we're really going to reap the benefits of that transfer. So, fingers crossed, as you say with a, a few games still to go this season and then obviously next season as well, we'll, uh, we'll start to see that that little bit more. And some, a similar sentiment, I guess, for Anthony Gordon, you know, if the club are having to prioritise now, as, as we understand it, you know, initially a, a right winger would have been on, on the shopping list. We imagine it still is to some extent, but of course, I think many people would agree, perhaps not, or there are other priority areas. Does that offer an opportunity for Anthony? Do you feel, even though Anthony plays left, wing largely um, would that offer a chance for him maybe to, to just get more minutes just get more game time in the Premier League playing on the right yeah I'd like to think so I think he should well he'll, he'll be almost guaranteed minutes towards the end of the season now that you know they're talking about these kind of unlimited substitutions and, mm. and stuff like that and you know it's probably you know we have players more senior players anyway you could maybe move over to the right and uh, he could play down the left. I think he can. I think it was David Unsworth who even said he thinks his best best position is maybe the the ten, wasn't it? Yeah. At that point. You know, it'd be interesting to even see him there. Although, you know, it's a tough position to play for 
a young lad like that. But I definitely think that from what we've seen so far, you know, if Carlo Ancelotti didn't have any interest in using them or hadn't been impressed by early signs, he wouldn't have been bringing them on uh, like he did against West Ham, did he? And I think he, he caught the eye a little bit there when he when he came on and certainly didn't look out of place in a, in a Premier League environment. So I think it's good now because I think Gordon's the first one in a long time where, you know, he has got a real chance at, at Everton and he just needs that little moment, doesn't he? You know, we're, we're not asking for a Rooney 30-yard top, top corner goal. I think we it'd just be nice to, certainly in these last few games of the season, how exciting it'd be if, if he was given a chance in one of the games and, and really took it by the scruff of the neck and made a goal, you know, scored a goal or just had a real big impact because I think that had really given that platform then to be saying, especially in pre-season, look, like, I'm here and I, and I want to be included as part of the three or four wingers in, in the squad that'll, that'll go into the new season because at the end of the day, it's all this money, uh, sorry, this summer is all is for every Premier League team going to be cutting costs and saving money and the price of a right winger and left winger, exciting talent in today's market, as we've seen, is 50, 60 million and above, isn't it, at the moment? So Anthony Gordon could save Everton all that and more and and be someone to, to build the team around under Ancelotti and Brands, which is something we've not been able to say about an academy player for a long time. Um, add one of the other sort of strands of information that that, that we got um, and put out over the weekend was that, as it stands, Everton are looking at the market, and, and as it stands, their preference would be to sign an rather than um, buying somebody who would be considered a couple of rungs or a rung down, um, put on a permanent deal. Do you think that would be the right the right way to uh, to operate? Go for top player on loan for one season, and then not know what would come. Or get somebody permanently who perhaps isn't quite as good, but you've got him for as long as you uh, have got the contract tied down for. I think it's interesting, isn't it? I think I I personally would agree with going for quality over quantity in the in this. And I, I you know I was going to say earlier as well. You, looking at the flip side of this transfer market, it kind of opens up the loan market in some senses. I think because you know you could have some clubs who was sitting there with, you know, a player, let's say they wanted to sell for 10 million before all this kicked off. They're not going to be able to do that now. Perhaps they'll be more willing to let them go out on loan. It might not have been financially viable for Everton to go, okay, here's 10 million, we'll get them on a three, four year contract, whatever. But now that it's a loan deal, it might be it might be worth a try before you buy sort of scenario. And I think, you know, with, with her... The past successes that Everton have had on loan, you know, even recently, as you say, with the likes of Andre Gomez and Kurt Zuma, I think, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to just get a quality player on loan and then try and see what happens next summer in terms of getting somebody in uh, permanently. Because, you know, if you were to settle for your third or fourth choice, maybe, and get them in on a permanent permanent deal, yeah, it would be nice to have that sort of stability of having, definitely having that player for the next two or three years. But, you're always surely going to be questioning in the back of your mind, what if what if we do actually got that top target? You know, we could have yeah. took we could have took that little bit of a risk and just got him in for the year and then seen what happens. So yeah, I think I'd always prioritise just getting getting those first targets in. So yeah, I I'd agree with the uh, with that strategy. Okay, we'll be interesting for, and first of all we need to know and see when the transfer window opens and how long it will be open for. So uh, we wait to see those developments. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
moving on, two weeks now, into the second week of Bundesliga football, behind closed doors. Uh, and at this, the time of recording this podcast, and um, Adam, we'll stay with you because I believe you've written about that uh, this this morning. Mm-hmm. There's only been three home wins so far. Um, how yeah. many? So how many games is that roughly? Is it sort of 22? Right. 22 games that I've been since since right. the restart. So uh, has there been has there been any feeling from Germany as to as to that they think this will be a pattern that continues or? What's well, Peter theme? Peter Bosch, the uh, Bayer Leverkusen manager, spoke about this interestingly just before uh, his team played against Wolfsburg yesterday at home and subsequently lost four one <laughs> in what was quite a surprising result in itself. But he was yeah. saying that he's just not particularly surprised by this at all. He thinks that you know the home fans are clearly a big part of the. Uh, of the football going experience in Germany, and it's going to be a huge benefit to an away team to have to go to, you know, one of these, you know, huge 50, 50 60,000 arenas sometimes, and uh, not have fifty thousand fans trying to uh, trying to shout you down with every kick. So, yeah, there's a there's a feeling of, well, it seems that there's a feeling that a lot of uh, German clubs aren't very surprised by the current trend. Mm. Sam, um, are you concerned about when? It seems now when rather than if, but you know, when or if we return and, you know, first game on the outstanding fixture list is, of course, the derby. But then, you know, there's games with Southampton, Leicester, um, Villa, I think, amongst the, the home games we've got left. Are you concerned, because we all know how, how much of an impact Goodison can have, have you got any concerns that an empty Goodison will have a detrimental impact on our results for the, for the foreseeable? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I think, um, especially you know, the the league is like still so tight. You know, it's obviously hard to think about kind of thing. Um, and you know, we're six points off sixth, but we're equally kind of you know still you know Brighton and fifteenth are only eight eight points behind us. You know, and, and there's still tough tough games to go. So, um. I think it's difficult, but then you've got to look at the flip side, haven't you? And think that we've really struggled in, in, in away games over the past decade almost. So, you know, without that kind of backing, other home teams will have. Can, can we take advantage of that? You, you've got to hope so. But at Goodison, um, you, you've just got to really hope that it's just stripping away a lot, isn't it? You've got to hope that we're, you know, we are a better team than the teams that have, you know, aside from Liverpool, we're better than the teams who have got to come to, to Goodison Park. And it's just about showing that, isn't it? You know, we've got the best possible manager on the sidelines, but, you know, it, it's just so hard because Goodison gives that extra little little push. And, you know, as a fan, there's been so many games, certainly for me growing up, where you'd get to Goodison and you'd feel the atmosphere even as you were going into the ground and you just knew we weren't going to lose. You just knew there were some games we were going to win because, you know, it, it, it was that powerful. And, and without that, it's obviously going to be hard and it, it's going to be strange watching it on telly and, and, and knowing that you can't be there to to back back the team. But we are better than, than the, the teams that have got to come, you know, again, apart from Liverpool at the moment. So, You've got to think we'll show that. You've got to think these lads are, are ready to get back to it. And 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 of all, at the end of the day, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's still in in actual football minutes. hasn't been in charge that long. The, there's a lot of players in that team who've still got to prove themselves to to him and and David Ancelotti and, and Duncan Ferguson. So, you know, I, I think that that should really drag us over the line. 
Adam, in terms of the um, just going back to Germany, in terms of the the experience of, of these games behind closed doors, we've seen cardboard cutouts of season ticket holders. I think I read earlier this week that in La Liga they're talking about pumping in uh, pre-recorded atmosphere, you know, noise from fans from previous games. Mm. Can you see? Can you see the Premier League going for any of this? Would you be in favour of these sort of artificial uh, atmosphere enhancers, if you like? I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen just because we have seen it happen, as you say, in Germany and, you know, we've seen the proposals from the league as well. So, you know, I maybe wouldn't be surprised to see it happen, at least in some grounds across the league. I certainly wouldn't be in favour of it. Mm. I think it's it's just, I don't know, it just, it just seems a little bit tacky and forced, doesn't it? I mean, I know, I understand the kind of thinking behind it to try and get us as close to normality as possible, but... We could, in my head, we just can't get close to normality with this situation. You know, we are we're behind closed doors. It's going to be worse than if there were fans inside the stadium. I think we've just got to kind of live with it at this point. If you're going to bring back the Premier League and it's going to be behind closed doors, to try and pump some artificial fan noise in in there because it's it's still not going to feel the same. So why not just have it have it more natural, I suppose, in in a in the format that it is. So. Yeah, Unless, of I, course, I, it's I, for the benefit of the TV audience. I guess, I guess. Uh, and I suppose it'd help commentators out so that they don't have to feel the need to constantly be chattering to fill, to fill the silence. But, yeah, I, as, as somebody who would be watching these games, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be wanting to be sat there with, like, some mad fan noise getting played, played over, the fo- over the football. Yeah, it's not for me. Yeah. And of course, there's a, there's a fellow who's just behind the press box at Goodison who's uh, often shouting for Uma, and we may have left by then anyway. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, one one player, you know, just picking up on Sam's point, neatly takes us on to the third part of today's podcast. One player that uh, will be absolutely straining at the leash to be given the opportunity to um, show what he can do, not just to a new manager, but to the club as a whole, is Jean-Philippe Gabamin. Um, Sam, this week he's saying that he's training with a view to playing this season. Were you, were you surprised to hear him say that? Um, not not quite, I don't think, because, you know, it obviously has now been a long time. I know we had that operation in, you know, late January, early February to, to clean the scar tissue. Um but def- definitely think this all seems kind of po- positive. And certainly his quotes this week, I think everything he said struck struck the right kind of chords. And, um, you know, ju- I do feel so sorry for, for, for Jabal. And, you know, for, for everything has just been tough, really, hasn't it? I think he wanted to ease him in. And we were there, weren't we, at Palace on the opening day when, you know, he was kind of instantly thrown into the... I forget who got injured that day, but, you know, he was thrown on. It, it was a it was a tough game to go into on the first day on a hot day and at Sellers Park and, and he struggled initially but grew into the game and, and by all accounts then had a, a good show and against Watford the next week and then to pick up that injury, you know, to have the setback, I think I think one of the last times he spoke or, or when Dan, Danny Donaghy spoke, he said, you know, he's got a young a young baby on the way, so he's gonna be raising a young family in the middle of Cavarus. You know, I'm not sure how well he speaks the language and stuff, what a what a crazy year it's it's been for him, uh, but but this really looks to be the the light at the end of the tunnel as as I think Adam wrote in his piece this week to to now kick on and as you're saying what an opportunity and an unexpected opportunity you know the season should have finished was it last weekend we should have been playing Bournemouth at Goodison and the season should have finished and 
now he's going to have this chance to play six or seven matches and you know, obviously not going to be included in all of them and, and probably might not even start any of them, might just be picking up minutes in there, but just to get a feel for the Premier League, albeit in a, a different, very different environment to, to what it will be when everything returns to, to normal, whenever that may be. I think that's a massive plus for Everton. I think also now with the news today that, you know, we'll get back into full contact training, hopefully a chance for him to really test out that injury because until you get back in there with the lads and you're getting tackled and you're, hitting balls at a full velocity and stuff, he's, not, he's probably not going to be able to have fully worked on, on, on that injury in such a delicate part of the, the leg as well. So, you know, hopefully that all goes well. And it's it's just so big, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, we, we've spoken about it before, but if he plays well, you know, if, if we're watching it from whenever that may be and you're going, hang on, there's a there's a player here, this lad's brilliant. Doesn't half save Everton a headache in the summer. So, you know, just just hope so, so, so much for, for Jabam and the everything goes well and he can show, you know, what made Everton pay out so much money for the, for the young lads last mm. summer because, you know, it's such a key area of the pitch and, and for me, the, the area we've struggled most in this season. Uh, but but overall, to, to answer the question, no, not surprised. I think now it's it's, it's time for him to start easing himself back in and a big opportunity for him to do that. Adam, of, of course, you know, you know the, the training. Training, of course, has been has been massively restricted f- f- for a number of uh, weeks and months, of course. But his target of actually being fit for the end of the normal season, actually, he would have unfortunately would have missed that. But actually, now he's been given this second opportunity in that respect, and hopefully, he, he can take it. Um, do you think that? Sorry, how, how long do you think he reasonably needs to be up to speed to Premier League football now? Bearing in mind he's come off a season-ending injury, effectively. Um, how, mm. how long do you think we need to give him realistically before we can start getting an idea of, of, of what his level is and, and what he's about? I'd argue into next season, probably. Uh, I think the most surprising thing in his quotes to me was that he was saying that he thinks he could be you know, fit and ready to go in, inside three or four weeks, did he say, after after he comes back to full training, which you know would be... Some turnaround from, you know, he had surgery in February, uh, didn't he? And he's been, mm-hmm. you know, rehabbing from home, which, you know, we, we can't really know how that's gone, but I can only presume that must be a bit tougher than doing it, you know, when you're yeah. coming in and seeing the physios and the doctors every day at Finch Farm. So, you know, even even having to go through that sort of difficult spell and to get to this point now, you know, it, it has been just a, such a long and winding road for him this season. And I am so happy that he is going to be, you know, fingers crossed, going to be ready to go for a few games at the end of this season because, you know, if we can even just get him off the bench, you know, get him some minutes of, you know, it's still Premier League football. It's going to be different, of course, in the circumstances. I don't think it'll be quite as high intensity as it would be in a normal circumstance, but it's still going to be Premier League football. It's going to be comparable to what he's going to experience next season when fans are back in the stadiums, whenever that might be. So, yeah, it, it, I think the end of this season should just be used really to try and warm him up. Essentially, you know, get allow him to get that run and start into you know whatever preseason preparations we get to make, and then into next seasons. But I, I wouldn't be expecting him to be you know fully fit and you know firing on all cylinders until you know next season, maybe even maybe even beyond that, depending on how much you know game time he actually does manage to get. Over the, over the next few weeks and months, because it's still it's still a really interesting battle in that midfield department. You know, we've only got two places, obviously, in the current formation. There's a lot of players who are going to want 
uh, game time from now until the end of this season. So yeah, it it really depends how much uh, how much game time Gabamon even gets. So yeah, I'd I'd say at some point towards the start of next season, that's when we you'd be expecting them to be firing on all cylinders. But fingers crossed over the next uh, few weeks and months, he can at least show us some of the qualities that uh, that we all hope that he can bring. Just so uh, difficult at the moment, isn't it? Because obviously next season, if if as Adam's saying, and as we've said in the podcast, if if Jabamon does kind of reach the, the potential we, we hoped, and, and Moise Keane does as well, you know, I know a lot of people like to hate the phrase like a new signing, but they both would be, wouldn't they? Because they probably haven't... I know Keane has still obviously played a, a relatively decent amount of minutes, but not hit the kind of standards we'd have expected maybe when, when he did first sign. So, you know, on, on the one hand, sometimes I think I can look at our squad and be like, not great this, but then other times you think, well, if he hits his form and he hits his form, then you think, you know, we, have, we do just need one or two additions kind of thing. So... The two of them are the biggest kind of. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to kind of think it, but the, I would say there's reasons. Reasons for excitement again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're the two biggest kind of ones, aren't they? Where if they show something next season, they're just a, a totally unexpected boost for Everton. So, you know, and especially Keane, because I do still think he's got something there. But it would just be great to have two young lads come in and 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 start flying towards the end of this season and the start of next season because it just take such a weight off the shoulders of Brands and Ancelotti to, to try and fill those kind of positions. Sam, um, Jao Virginia over the weekend saying that Moise Keane's shot is the hardest he's ever attempted to say. How would you have fancied your chances? Not too, not too much. No, I remember one time we were, uh, we were, we were on a tour and they, they put me up the year above and Ross Barkley was, was in the season. Not to names off my, my mate Ross there, but <laughs> he, uh, he took a shot. And I remember I got a full hand to it and it was honestly one of the hardest things I've ever felt and it just pushed my hand right back and the ball obviously went in. And it was just before the game, I think, and, and I remember Ross coming up to me and saying, like, sort of along the lines of, don't you dare do that in the match or, like, you best not say that in the match. <laughs> so I got a good, uh, a good telling off from Ross on that one. So from personal experience, he was the uh, the hardest shot I can remember. So from what I've seen of Moisky, and I think he'd have probably put, put me in the back of the net with him, I think. <laughs> Yeah, there doesn't appear to be a great deal of finesse with his shooting with uh, with Keane at no, present, no. does there? He just uh, he winds that right peg back and uh, lets fly, <laughs> doesn't he? Um, cracking, but but again, just staying with with Gabamin and Moise Keane, obviously both signed over the same weekend last summer. That was another significant investment, and I know we can become quite flippant and blasé about about transfer fees now because the numbers previously and prior to this situation have just been astronomical. You know, and your twenty five millions is almost run of the mill, but where we are and, and where the club are and where the club are trying to readdress um, the balance and balance the books and stuff. £25 million for a midfielder was a serious investment. Um, and obviously, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot of belief uh, in, in this lad that he can he can produce. No, 100%. And I think, you know, just look at the man that he was essentially brought in to replace as well. And that, that just shows you, you know, we, we were investing so much in that position because we were losing one of our most influential players in the whole squad uh, in that area. You know, Gabamon's, you know, not meant to be the the like-for-like sort of replacement for Idrissa Guy, but he was meant to step into those shoes and maybe take the, that position on to a different level. And, you know, Marco Silva obviously had plans for his system and Gabamon would have been central to, to those plans. Obviously, you know, we've got ended up down a very different route now, but Gabamon is still going to be crucial 
to whatever plans the club have in the future because you know he we have invested a lot of money in him and we haven't done that you know flippantly we, we haven't just done that just going oh yeah he's he's available let's just throw 25 million in him we'll scout them for ages and ages he's performed very well in the Bundesliga in the past you know he's got all the qualities that means he can bring it in the Premier League you know we saw glimpses of it in especially that Watford game at home right at the start of the season especially in the second half we really really saw him grow into the role a little bit more start to get more confidence in himself and I think that's why there's even more disappointment really that he got that injury so early on because it did look like he was just about to perhaps kick on and really show us what he could do so perhaps that maybe gives us a little bit of hope into the future you know if he does come back from this injury and he is you know raring to go then hopefully he can start showing those qualities as quickly as he did at the start of the season you know there'll be mistakes along the way no doubt because he's been out for so long but you know there's still a really quality footballer in there you know he's still only 24 years old I think so he's still got loads of time ahead of him so yeah, I still think there's a lot of excitement around him, as there is around Moise Keane as well. Um, there were some rumours. I don't know if they've been verified or or, or simply rumours that uh, Ahmed Idrissa is uh, is available. <laughs> L- loan off for anyone? Be hard to say no, wouldn't it? It, it would be really hard to say no, just because of how good a player he is. I think it, I think if it was on loan, I'd be I'd be much more tempted uh, to do it. But if it was a permanent deal, then that that opens up so many questions about like his age and you know yeah. everybody else that we've got in that position as well. So, but if it if it was alone, like he's just, he's one of the best players that we've had in the last ten years. Like I just don't think you'd be able to turn that down. I would honestly like. I <laughs> Here would we walk. go. <laughs> I, I would... you dr- you drive to Durham to get him, wouldn't you? <laughs> I would do that. I, I I would honestly never speak to any of my family ever again to have a dresser back. That's how <laughs> that's how much I had have him back. Honestly, like one of the most misunderstood. I remember there was a period, wasn't there, when he was a bit misunderstood with Everton, but I just think this season has badly shown up what what he did. I think it'd be similar to taking Kante out of Chelsea. You know, he just just did something that no one else I've ever seen seen do at Everton. You know, what, what a transfer he was for for eight million as you. User said alone would just be an absolute no-brainer, wouldn't it? I mean, how true those reports are, I don't know, because every time I've seen them play for PSG, <laughs> remember him against, was it Real Madrid in the Champions League, where he was just unbelievable, wasn't he? That I think PSG won like 3-0 or something, and he was just everywhere. And I remember a lot of Everton fans on social media saying, you know, we're, we're not surprised because this is just what he used to do week in, week out. Um, so it would be surprising if they let him go, but obviously now he is a bit older and, and they've lost half a season or whatever, so... But he would just be an absolute no-brainer of a signing, wouldn't he? So um, that would just be amazing if we could get him back, but I, I wouldn't hold my breath. I, I mean, look, we're, we're playing a bit of fantasy footy here because we don't know if there's any if there's any truth in it. But in terms of... This was just finally, I'd going back to... You, know, you make a very good point about there will be questions about his age and stuff, but 31 in September, he doesn't seem to be slowing down, though. No. <laughs> no, so, not at all. So, uh, you know, hypothetically, if you said, right, we'll give you a three-year contract. <sighs> so you're winning me over now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then again, I'm not in charge of Everton's finances. Well, so neither it, am I, so... Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's a lot easier to convince me. I suppose it would be much harder to convince you know, the money makers at Everton uh, that 
that that would be an, a good deal. But, you know, as, as Sam said, like, he, he, I'd be shocked if PSG were to let him go. I've got to say, these these rumours or, or reports or whatever they are, like, they, they did raise my eyebrows a little bit because I, I don't watch a lot of French football, I've got to admit, but whenever I have seen PSG in the Champions League or whatever, just a guy seems to be central to their performances and he's been so, so good and he was every inch the player that, you know, I remember him being forever and just that engine room in the midfield. He just reminded us all of what we were missing, really. So, you know, if if we were lucky enough to maybe be able to get him back on loan, I think we'd have to bite PSG's hand off. But as, as Sam said, I'd be I'd be shocked if that uh, if that situation arose, to be honest. Mm. Indeed, we can dream. Anyway, chaps, uh, thank you very much for your company. Good stuff as always. And uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back again at the end of the week for a second Royal Blue podcast of this week. Uh, Thank you very much for everybody. And you've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo.